0: Alex Hunold is an extraordinary rock climber, a rock climbing legend really. He's the first and only rock climber to free solo climb El Capitan, a Yosemite's 3,000 foot granite rock face. It's considered the greatest achievement in rock climbing history. Free soloing is when a climber uses no ropes, harnesses, or protective equipment. If they lose their grip, they almost certainly fall to their death, which adds a certain moral dilemma to free soloing. Many consider it recklessness with sacred human life. So Alex Honnold free soloed the 3,000 feet of El Cap. Great climbers do it with equipment in several days. Alex did it in 3 hours and 56 minutes. The video footage Gives me the willies. Uh, Just creepy. Um, It shows Alex gripping small rock holds on El Cap. If those rock holds would have broken loose, Alex would have fallen to his death. Think about his rock holds. Rock holds. Does life ever feel like you are 3,000 feet up? On a rock face and you're afraid about halfway up okay and you don't know the next rock hold and and don't feel strong enough to keep climbing does life ever feel that way we get anxious and in order to overcome anxiety we need secure rock holds along our way and God graciously provides them for us in the comfort of his gospel Psalm 18, verse 2 says, The Lord is my rock. Psalm 40, verse 2 says, He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. When when anxiety comes, comfort comes, through knowing that God's rock holds, which sometimes seems small and insignificant, will never give way. They will bear our weight. They will hold us. We sometimes underestimate how His holds can hold us. My focus this morning is on the comfort of the gospel, which is uniquely effective in overcoming anxiety. And preaching on anxiety is challenging because anxiety can refer to various things and anxiety is a very sensitive topic, even controversial. So I hope to be clear, careful, and caring. What is anxiety exactly? We need to know what anxiety is and isn't in Matthew 6. Here's what anxiety isn't in Matthew 6. It isn't eagerness as in I'm anxious to get to the cabin. It isn't having a loving and serious concern for someone, which is how the 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 Greek word is sometimes used in scripture. It isn't natural and justified fear like what you experience when you see a toddler bolting for the street or you almost get into a car accident, or you first hear the bad test results. It isn't distress. Jesus needed to drink the cup of God's righteous wrath and his soul was distressed. That's not the variety of anxiety in Matthew 6. Neither is it agony or sorrow. Jesus suffered agony and sorrow and yet wasn't anxious the Bible doesn't use the word anxiety in reference to Jesus furthermore it is not physiological or medical problems that cause troubling symptoms things like hypothyroidism, or a vitamin D deficiency, or withdrawal from going off a particular medication, things like that. But what about what psychology labels anxiety disorders? Now this is sticky. Anxiety disorders are a complex and very delicate topic. My comments will be brief. First off, psychology often doesn't include medical and physiological testing. Diagnoses are based upon symptoms and the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, or DSM, which some prominent psychologists are are concluding lacks scientific evidence and is significantly flawed. If our source for understanding diagnosing and treating anxiety is psychology, we need to be aware of the presuppositions behind psychology. Think about the pioneers and the big names of psychology. Wundt, James, Pavlov, Freud, Adler, Jung, Rogers, Skinner, Maslow. All of these and most others Uh, were or are atheists, agnostics, humanists, or unbelievers. The most influential names in psychology reject God and His truth. Psychology is built upon the backs of unbelievers and humanistic presuppositions. Now, I'm not saying that psychology gets everything wrong, but I am saying that its presuppositions are godless. Now with that in mind, we should seriously consider whether psychology is actually the authority on understanding, diagnosing, and treating anxiety and many other struggles that the DSM labels disorders. Much of psychology is simply uh, medication management and never effectively addresses the underlying problems. James E. Bruce said this, the relationship between Christianity and psychology is a complicated one, not least because of the challenge in securing consensus on definitions for the terms involved." End of quote. Friends, what is anxiety exactly? Are, are we getting our definitions from science or from Scripture? Here's the anxiety that Jesus Addresses in Matthew 6 and in other places. And it's, in its own right, truly a pandemic. Anxiety in Matthew 6 is a sinful worry or concern that derives from distrust in God, which we can see from verse 30, O you of little faith. That phrase is inseparable from the thrice-repeated phrase, Do not be anxious. Jesus links anxiety with lack of confidence and rest in God's providence. Therefore, anxiety is something to be repented of and overcome by grace as the Holy Spirit works and grows faith in our hearts. One source explains... Anxiety about earthly goods is the opposite of trust in the word of God," end of quote. Uh, another says, "To be anxious then demonstrates a lack of trust in God who promises that he will graciously care for all these things," end of quote. Saints, anxiety is a faith deficiency. I like how Dr. Jeremy Pierre the Associate Professor of Biblical Counseling at Southern Seminary, defines anxiety. He says this, It's helpful to think of worry as a tactic of our fear. So in other words, it's obsessing with our thoughts and our emotions about some threat to something we value, something that we see as essential or want as essential to our very life. The problem or the sin that can be involved in worry is we mix up what actually we most value for life and we forget God's role in relation to that value, what life actually is." End of quote. So think of anxiety as misplaced thought and trust. Misplaced thought and trust. We preoccupy ourselves with our fears and futures and overlook God's promises and providence and we expect security in the wrong things. Anxiety is fearfully and worryingly dwelling on problems instead of taking those problems to the Lord. See, we don't want to confuse natural and justifiable fear or agony or sorrow or distress or physiological problems as I explained earlier with sinful anxiety because then a a vitamin D deficiency is wrongly labeled sin when a little sunshine and vitamin supplements would go a long way we need Jesus the preeminent psychologist to help us understand, diagnose, and treat the pandemic of anxiety. His comfort and counsel are the answer. Look at verse 30. Jesus tells his disciples, whom he chose, loved, saved, and knew were weak and needy, O oh, you of little faith. That was the root of their problem. The disciples of Jesus had little faith and were vulnerable to anxiety. Our faith is little but our God is big. We are not strong nor is our faith strong but the object of our faith is strong and there is our strength. Jesus knew that his disciples were weak and vulnerable to anxiety. In fact, he knew They would face terrifying situations on account of Him. Would suffer on account of Him. Would even die as martyrs on account of Him. And He cared enough to prepare them for that trouble. He graciously trained them in how to work through anxiety because it would come. And, And He didn't give them psychology. He gave them gospel. When he said, oh, you of little faith, he was not pounding them as if to say, oh, you weak and pathetic losers. Why do you get so anxious all the time? He was direct, but he was tender and gentle. He was teaching them, training them. Ed Welch uh, from CCEF in Philly, good organization, addressed the question, is it a sin to be afraid and Welch uses Luke twelve thirty two, where Jesus said, "'Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom,' to address the question." And I think Welch's comments on fear help us understand Jesus' tone here in Matthew 6 regarding anxiety. There are similarities. Referring to Jesus' command not to fear, Welch said, as soon as it says little flock it gives a completely different sense of the command it's I know that you are vulnerable I know that you feel defenseless and out of control in a very very difficult world please realize Jesus says that our God is a gracious God who is not sitting far away as his children are in distress He's the God who even wants to give us the kingdom itself. And then Welch added this. So that particular passage carries a very, very different tone. There's an assumption that we are going to be afraid because there are perilous kinds of things. And there is one prominent question. When you're afraid, where will you turn? End of quote. Now, Welch is talking about fear, not necessarily anxiety, but it's somewhat related. We will face many threats and anxiety will be tempting. We will get into situations where anxiety will be tempted. So, where will you turn? Deep down, what will you expect to help you overcome anxiety? That's key. Jesus taught that to truly overcome anxiety, one must trust and rest in the comfort of the gospel of God's providence. Next, Jesus does not want his disciples to be anxious because anxiety conflicts with faith. Jesus said it three times. Do not be anxious. Three times. He gave no justification for anxiety, but called them to repent of it and to trust in God. Deep below the surface of anxiety are idols, things we desire and trust instead of God, things we wrongly assume will give us security. Those idols need to be identified and then destroyed so that full confidence in God can replace them. Verse 30 shows that anxiety conflicts with trust in God, who alone is our security, strength, and stronghold. Notice where this teaching comes in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus had just addressed materialism and said, you cannot serve God in money, money is not security. Verses 25 through 34 connect back to verses 19 through 24. We are not to set our hearts on money or possessions, nor are we to trust in them as our security, um, for our security actually is the kingdom of God. See, stockpiling material goods as our security is insufficient to overcome anxiety. It doesn't work. In fact, it often amplifies anxiety living under the reign and rule of Almighty God is our security brothers and sisters it is our peace it is our joy Jesus think about Jesus he is not an anxious man he overcame the temptation to anxiety with confidence in God and God's sovereign will Jesus Jesus anticipated and drank dry the cup of God's righteous wrath without any anxiety. Sorrow? Yes. Distress? Yes. Anguish? Yes. Pain? Yes. Anxiety? No. To my knowledge scripture never says Jesus was anxious. How could that be? Because deep within his heart was not my will but yours be done. Jesus transcends anxiety therefore he is a great help for those with little faith like us those with little faith in our battle with anxiety in our temptation to be anxious do you believe that do you believe in the sufficiency of Christ for your anxiety Jesus overcame anxiety for us he's the strong one we're the weak ones and he is ready to help us. So let me ask the question how can we overcome anxiety with comfort in the gospel? I have eight short points. Number one, consider and trust in the providence of Almighty God. Consider and trust in the providence of Almighty God. Jesus' arguments in verses 25 through 34 are rooted in God's providence. God's providence quells worry and quiets the anxious soul With gospel comfort. God's providence is His almighty and ever present power, whereby, as with His hand, He still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures, and so governs them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed all things come not by chance, but by His fatherly hand. God's ever-present power is our comfort. God's governance of the universe is our comfort. God's sovereignty and provision in suffering is our comfort. The fact that nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of our Heavenly Father is a rock hold upon which we can place our weight to climb to further heights. So Jesus teaches what he does in this passage because of God's providence. Number two, consider how your heavenly Father values your life. Track his argument in verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. he's not talking about rational and natural fears or distress but rather worried concern over the necessities of life food drink and clothing and then he gives the rationale is not life more than food and the body more than clothing your life is more significant than you eating drinking and dressing there there's more to life than necessities In verse 26, Jesus asks his disciples, are you not of more value than the birds of the air? The grass from verse 30 is the same type of argument. It's an argument from the lesser to the greater. If God cares for birds who are not made in his image, how much more will he care for his children who are made in his image and are of more value to him than all the animals put together? He he didn't send his only begotten son to rescue birds or animals from their sin and misery so that they could sit at his eternal table. Now, our, our culture is so confused about the sacredness of human life, PETA, put out a billboard with a picture of a very concerned-looking chicken. And the billboard says, I'm me, not meat. See the individual, go vegan. (laughs) What? What? It's absurd when people protest the consumption of animals which sustains human life and also advocate a woman's right to murder her unborn child. Absurdity! The giver of life knows the sacredness of life. Your life is more than what's in your refrigerator. Your purpose in life is nobler than calories and cloth. Can Blue Jays say they've been adopted by God? You may love watching birds, but would you die for birds? No, because you don't love them that much. Brothers and sisters, God gave His only begotten Son to die for you, to redeem you for Himself, to be an illustration of His glory and power and grace. Will He not also provide for you because He values and loves you? Does your anxiety show confidence and thankfulness In your father's love and care for you. Number three, consider how God cares for the birds. Jesus said, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your Heavenly Father feeds them. When we're anxious, that may be often, when we're anxious, maybe we ought to simply unplug for a little bit go for a quiet walk and watch some birds. And I'm serious about that. We should do that more often. They are a simple and beautiful reminder of God's providence. I love to watch bluebirds, cardinals, goldfinches, um, downy woodpeckers, even the occasional red-tailed hawk flies around in our neighborhood. Our Father feeds those birds. They are well-fed, healthy, and beautiful because our Father cares for them. If our Father is feeding those birds, how might He care for us? Now, verse 26 is not arguing for laziness. That would be to miss the point. Birds work. Now, they're not farmers, but but they're not work-shy. Birds eat every day because when they go searching for food, our Father provides it for them. Their little baby birds uh, have enough to eat, enough to grow. Jesus put that phrase so wonderfully, don't miss it, your Heavenly Father feeds them. Your Heavenly Father, not their Heavenly Father. The birds don't have a Heavenly Father. He's our Heavenly Father, feeding those birds. Will He not much more provide for the needs of us, His children? Saints, that truth, right there, does more to alleviate anxiety than all the methods of psychology combined. But the truth of God's providence, in order for that to be true, must be understood and applied in our anxious situations. They must be clung to with faith, with true faith. Number four, consider your own inability and the futility of anxiety. Verse 27, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? Jump down to verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Why is that? for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let tomorrow worry about itself. You don't have to worry about it. Let God handle tomorrow. You don't have to handle it. Now prepare, think ahead, work hard, do your best, but leave tomorrow to worry about itself. Now if you wanted to, could you give your best effort and extend your life by even one second? Roberto Clemente and Kobe Bryant were among sport's greatest athletes. Their aircraft's uh, uh, crashes, the crashes that they experienced, were quick and were fatal. Did they have the choice or the power in that moment to extend their lives by even one hour so that they could say goodbye to their loved ones? No. Life Is sacred but it is just a mist it it is it, it is here and then it vanishes quickly can anxiety extend life can money extend life can possessions extend life now imagine lining up getting a good running start and slamming face first into your concrete basement wall expecting to run through it. Well, that's an exercise in painful futility. And anxiety is too. It's futile. It doesn't help at all. It only adds pain. Anxiety can't make your child safe. Anxiety can't change the test score as you wait to hear. Anxiety can't eradicate the coronavirus. What can anxiety do for us other than distract us from trusting in God? Jesus taught human inability and the futility of anxiety. We we don't control our lives. God does. Anxiety has never helped anyone. Certainly hasn't helped me in my life. Hasn't helped you either. What does it help? Our realizing we are secure in Christ... And our Father's love, that is what helps us. See, see, God may not change our circumstances, but he will always strengthen us in our circumstances if we ask and trust and thank him. So we must go to him in grateful prayer, trusting and expecting that our Father will provide for us. Number five. Consider how God adorns wildflowers with radiant color and beauty. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes, the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? If we would unplug and take a quiet walk to see the beautiful wildflowers, to behold how God gives them a, a life. How God sustains them and adorns them with magnificent beauty and style. Maybe we wouldn't worry about clothes so much if we're remembering this this message in connection with creation. Fashion is cool. I I, I think that it should be uh, given a little bit of thought. But being fashionable can add much anxiety to people's lives. Do I look okay? Uh, will, will people accept me in this? Am I beautiful? I'd give anything for those basketball shoes. And, and then we waste $400 on them, and they get old just like any other shoe. Will, will I be able to provide the best for my children to get them the very best stuff and, and, and so much worry about clothing? Have we hiked outside enough to consider how beautifully God adorns wildflowers. Take time to look at the the spring flowers and remember, in connection with Scripture, the care of our Father. Solomon, he was the richest king of, of Israel's history, and even his designer clothes could not rival the wildflowers. Again, the argument is from the lesser to the greater. If God clothes wild flowers which grow and die with splendid beauty and style, will He not much more clothe His adopted and beloved children? Now general revelation, or we could say creation, does not give us the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need God's Word to get gospel. But creation is more beautiful and helpful to us when it is seen through the lens of Scripture. Look at the wildflowers in nature and and allow them to remind you of this biblical truth in Matthew 6. God cares for his children, so do not be anxious about food, clothing, drink, or anything, really. Number six. Consider the weakness of your faith and your need of God's strengthening grace. Our faith is not strong, and we are not self sufficient. And that's not meant to induce anxiety in you, but meant to lead you to Christ to receive His strength, peace, and comfort. You trying to be strong on your own is a recipe for anxiety. You're admitting your weakness. And therefore, trusting in Christ is a recipe for strength. Our faith is not entirely, or, or I'm sorry, inherently strong as if we had something to do with its strength. The object of our faith is strong. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Therefore, in him the weak are made strong. Verse 30. O oh, you of little faith. His disciples had little faith, not big faith. Our frequent prayer should be then, I believe, help my unbelief. Our Father in heaven, lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from anxiety. I, I, I don't think it's helpful to perceive ourselves as being strong in faith, as if the quality of our faith makes us strong and steadfast. People might say something to the effect of, I'm, I'm doing okay. I have my faith to get me through. That's unclear. That, that's, that's anxiety-inducing. Our faith is not our strength. The object of our faith is our strength. So our eyes must be on Christ and not on our faith or ourselves. Our hearts must be on Christ, who is himself our strength. Does that make sense? One source said, Anxiety over the uncertainty or scarcity of resources to sustain physical life reveals a faltering faith in the father's care for his children. End of quote. And see, brothers and sisters, our faith is little. Our faith is weak. But remember, blessed are the spiritually poor and meek. The best thing we can do in anxiety is fix our eyes on Christ. Explore the depths of the gospel and expect our peace to lovingly and graciously grant us strength and hope and rest through the ordinary means of grace, the Word, sacraments, and prayer. Christ is our peace. We must trust Him. Pride and anxiety are best friends and both are adversaries of comfort. Because pride rallies us to overcome anxiety on our own. Which can lead right to the doorstep of anxiety. Because we can't do it on our own. Dear brothers and sisters, let us consider together First Peter 5, 5-7. through Listen to these words. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. There it is. Humble yourself. You can't do it. You can't handle this. You you don't got this. You need Christ. Comfort in the gospel and the Spirit's gracious work. They're how to overcome anxiety. Seven. Consider that your loving Heavenly Father knows exactly what you need to love and serve Him in this life. You may think that you know what you need to feel secure. But your security is truly in God and trusting that God knows exactly what you need in this life. He'll give you what He decides you need. When He doesn't give what He doesn't give to you, you know that you don't need it. And that for some reason, God in His uh, sovereignty and providence and wisdom is loving you by withholding it from you. Verse 32, For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. The nations were pagan. Uh, In their unbelief, they had no heavenly Father. They anxiously sought after these necessities as if life was about necessities. What, What an anxious and a miserable life The Gentiles fixated on temporal things and therefore found no true peace and rest for their souls. Because their trust was in things that are transient, that are here for a moment and gone the next. Jesus told his disciples, the chosen, the redeemed, your heavenly father knows that you need them their adoption meant something that something significant their adoption connected them to the loving provision of their father of almighty god though god's children are weak needy they're prone to anxiety fear distress burden they, they they can be confident that their father knows what is good and necessary for them now my children They don't worry about where they're going to sleep tonight or or if they will eat today or if Christina and I will strive to give them good things. They are secure in our love for them. We are secure, even more secure than that analogy, more secure in our Father's love and provision. We need the Holy Spirit to unveil more gospel so that Our mind, emotion, and will conform to reality and are no longer preoccupied with anxiety. We need the Spirit to do that for us, to to overcome anxiety for us. Even if you starve today, has your Father not given you the bread of life? Even if you drink muddy water that gives you parasites, has your Father not given you living water to quench your spiritual thirst? Even if you are stripped naked, embarrassed, and mocked for your faith in Christ by your persecutors, has your Father not dressed you in the robes of Christ's righteousness? Saints, in, in hard times, it's tempting for us to be anxious. Every day, anxious and stirred to anxiety because it feels sometimes as if God is not really caring for us, that He's not really there, that He's not really coming through. We're crying out and it seems like He's silent. But in reality, our Father is loving us by being with us, sustaining us, assuring us, And comforting us with his gospel, which is the means of overcoming anxiety in frightening circumstances. When I was a kid, my family would watch TV down in our basement, which was refinished, and so we would watch down there at night. Um, In the basement and sometimes I needed to go upstairs and maybe to go to the bathroom or to get something or whatever And so I'd have to go up by myself and I would get scared about that as a kid And I didn't want to go up there and and be by myself who knows what's going on up there And so I made it quick. I mean up and packed down Think about that though life was really not different upstairs compared to downstairs but what made the difference was being with my family. Being with my family. Okay, so make the connection. The presence of God is a real and practical comfort that we often ignore as if something more tangible will provide us with greater security. God is invisible. That's tough to think through, but He's with us. And and sometimes we, we grab for something that might be a little bit more tangible, that might... Be more here and present, but can anything be more present than the indwelling presence of God? Psalm 46, verse 7 and 11 is our comfort. The Lord of hosts is with us. The Lord of hosts is with us. Number eight. Trust that your loving heavenly Father will provide for you and by faith seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now we get into trouble when we seek first earthly comforts. Remember, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our heart and our pursuits must be um, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's where we should set our hearts, to seek earthly comforts first is to set ourselves up for anxiety. What what if we were so absorbed with seeking God's kingdom and righteousness that we simply didn't worry about necessities because we knew God would provide? What, what if our greatest concern was thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? How would that help us overcome anxiety? I think it would help us all immensely to direct our gaze to Christ in moments of anxiety, to call out for His help, to ask for His grace and Holy Spirit, to thank our Father for giving us His kingdom and Christ's righteousness, and then to seek the kingdom and righteousness more fervently by the Spirit's leading. God gives us a command in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, but also a promise. Listen, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. That's the command. That's what we should do. And now there's a promise associated with it. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Okay, so if the peace of God is guarding your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, where is the room for anxiety? Amidst his struggling and hard prayers, Jesus told the Apostle Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I wonder... Do you believe that the grace of Christ is sufficient for you to overcome anxiety? Do I? Or do we feel like we need something else to help us overcome anxiety? Now, there are many healthy and good physical things you can do to alleviate symptoms of anxiety, and we should do them. We are body and soul. So pay attention to your body. That is important. But most importantly, pay attention to your soul. Your soul needs rest in Christ. And when you have it, when, when the providence of God provides rest, For your soul, soul rest, you will be in much better shape to fight and overcome anxiety for the glory of God, the good of your emotional and spiritual health, and the good of your neighbor.